So dumb things that sound smart. Now, I do want to say this from the very beginning. Uh, this is not an attack on anyone over the course of the next, uh, so there's eight weeks. I think we have eight more weeks after this. Uh, the, if you have fallen prey to believing some of the things that we're going to discuss, this is not an attack on you. Okay, there are a lot of good, sincere, godly Christians who have fallen prey to some of the things that we're going to be discussing. And so, uh, you know, as we as we sort through these things, I don't want you to, maybe you or someone you love, uh, and, and all of a sudden you begin to sink in the pew because you feel like, oh my gosh, like there was a, maybe there was a time when I believed that, or maybe even right now uh, you believe it. And so, uh, as we discuss these spiritual urban less legends, uh, if they if they if they hit home with you, this isn't an attack on you. What we want to do is we want to clear these things up uh, because they're just not true. So I want to recap a couple of things that Tony talked about last week. Uh, so we started this conversation about urban legends. And an urban legend is a belief, story, assumption, or truism that gets passed around as a fact. Okay, so we're having this conversation about dumb things that smart people believe. Okay, well, that sounds smart, but but really, if you get to the heart of them, they, they really don't they don't line up with with Scripture. Well, how does that happen? It's it's a, a belief or a story or an assumption or truism that gets passed around as fact. And so it, what are the sources? I was just thinking about this this week. What are some of the sources in which that takes place? How does that happen? How do these things get passed around and then all of a sudden we embrace them as truth? Well, I think there's a lot of different ways, and a good urban legend probably is coming from multiple sources. You're, you're hearing it from multiple sources, and so maybe, maybe people will hear these things from uh, maybe a friend, maybe a mentor. Maybe these are things that we've, we've read in books or read in devotionals. Or maybe something that was discussed by other people in a small group setting. Or maybe, maybe it's through a sermon that we've heard in the past. Or You know what I mean? And, and like I said, I believe that really a, good, a really a good myth or a good urban legend is probably going to come from multiple sources. And then it gains traction, uh, gains traction over time. And as it gets widely disseminated, then what happens is it begins to take on a life of its own. See, here's a perfect example, and then we'll go into the definition of sp spiritual urban legend. Here's a perfect example. You, 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 go to, you can go to a ton of different places. You can walk into, uh, used to when you could walk into Lifeway, or you go to different places, and you've seen it many, many times. Guaranteed, every single person in this room in here has seen a picture of Jesus, and he's white, brown hair, blue eyes. How did that happen? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but it just gains this traction. Newsflash, Jesus wasn't white. He didn't have blue eyes. And so like, but what happens is it begins to take on uh, a life of its own. And it just you get, continues to get some traction. And so spiritual urban lesson, legend is this. And this is extremely important as we, we launch into this discussion tonight. It's dangerous. Spiritually dangerous errors that will eventually bring heartache and disillusionment to all who trust in them. Okay, so what it eventually, spiritual urban legends, they're dangerous. They can bring heartache and disillusionment. 
And the reason why they're dangerous is, is we can get to a place where uh, someone can get to a place where they will write off God. They, they, they will write off God because they feel like God isn't keeping the promises that he never made. And so we can come up with these promises that, that aren't the promises of God, but they've been passed on and we've heard from other people. Maybe we heard them in a small group setting or maybe a friend, a mentor, a sermon, a this or that or multiple different places. But all of a sudden now we begin to believe something, a promise that God never made. And when he doesn't keep up that promise, then, then all of a sudden now we're upset, with, we're upset with God. And so these spiritual urban legends, they're not just false or um, or unfortunate, or just a few degrees off. I want you to understand that these things are dangerous. They have huge implications, okay? So last week, Tony talked about the spiritual urban legend of the fact that faith can fix anything. So if you are here last week, you remember this whole conversation about the fact that faith can fix anything. If you weren't here, you can go to the website, and you can go back, and you can listen to, you can listen to that sermon. So this idea that faith can fix anything, and I'm not going to recap that. You can go back and listen. But I want to just whet your appetite for some of the things that we're going to be discussing over uh, the coming weeks. Now, this isn't everything, but I just want to just, these are some of the things that we're going to be discussing. A godly home guarantees godly kids. God has a blueprint for my life. Christians shouldn't judge. Everything happens for a reason. So these are things that, that we're going to be talking about. Are they true? Are they not? What, what does the Bible have to say about these things? And so just, just things for you to just kind of begin to think about. Okay, these are things that we need to discuss. And there's several other things that we're going to be hitting on. But um, tonight we're going we're gonna to hit on spiritual uh, urban legend number two. Before I put this up on the screen for you and before you write it on your, on your notepad... Um, on your handout. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray because this is, this is what I believe. I believe that uh, this has huge implications. Like this really can have a great impact uh, on many. Like th what we're going to be talking about affects everybody in the room. It, has, it can have huge implications on things that have, have been done to us or we've done in the past. It can have huge implications on the current situation and season that you find yourself in today, or it can have huge implications on what's coming in the future. But I'm just telling you, there's going to be, it, it's hard to, it's, this is a hard conversation to have. This is a hard topic to wrestle through because, because of, of what lies in the balance, because of the things that have been done to us or the things that we've done. And so, but it's a very important conversation for us to have. So I want to pray. And just ask God to give us, um, I know I already prayed, but I want to pray again. Just ask God to give us ears to hear what he has to, to say to us tonight. All right, so let's pray. God, we come before you and we confess that um, we desperately, desperately need you. That, that in our flesh, we will resist what you have to say to us tonight. God, that the things that we're going to talk about... Um, because of maybe maybe pain that we've experienced or injustice that we've experienced or whatever it is, God, it, it's hard for us to, to really move forward the way in which you would have us to. But God, that's what we want. We, we want. we want you to do surgery on our hearts. We want you to do surgery on our lives. And so give us, 
ears to hear the things you would have us to hear. Help us to respond the way in which you would have us to respond. God, help us to hear your voice and to know your will and to walk in obedience in light of that. We thank you and love you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so here's, here's our number two. Forgiving means forgetting. Forgiving means forgetting. That's our, our urban legend number two. Now, what do, we, what do we mean by this? What do I mean when I say that? Because here, here's what I think. I think that many people, uh, in general, but specifically within the church, I think many people don't understand what biblical forgiveness looks like. And so we've, we've conjured up this idea of what it means to forgive. We've learned from the world what it means to give. We've heard from other people. Maybe we've heard from things and just all the things that I've, I talked about just a moment ago. But like many people in the church don't have a, a biblical understanding of what it looks like to truly forgive the way in which God called us to. And what that does is it creates problem for us when we confuse forgetting with forgiving. Because that's a, that's a problem. We can't do that. And it has the potential to derail how we relate both to God and to others. And so we've got to be very careful in the way in which we, we handle this. And so while I want to think through just, uh, as we begin our discussion, I want to think through just two examples in, in light of how, how this, this spiritual urban legend, how it can derail us in regards of how we relate to God and how we relate to others, okay? So, here we go. Number one. See, it's easy to get frustrated with God if we think His forgiveness should have removed all the consequences of our sin. It's, it's easy to get frustrated with God when we think His forgiveness should have removed all the consequences of our sin. Look, I, I've, I've known lots of people over the years who have done terrible things things okay I, I know people who have messed up big time and, and many of you shaking your head and you're like that's me like I, <laughs> I'm that guy I'm that lady like I know people who've really blown it I'm not talking just little things I'm talking ginormous things and, and then what happens is, is what takes place in their life is God God does a tremendous work in their life and there is genuine repentance that takes place and they confess their sin they turn from their sin and they begin to head in a new direction. And then they attempted to move forward in this new direction, but they couldn't. At least not the way in which they thought that they should be moving forward in this new season. See, they're different. They're changed. They have a new heart. They have a new nature. They have new desires. They've repented from their sin. They're moving forward in this direction. And now all of a sudden, like things aren't working out the way in which they thought that it should, that it should work out. I'll give you a... a perfect example and I'll just point to me I remember uh, 22 years ago uh, just about almost 22 years ago that I surrendered my life to Christ now my wife and our, our relationship our marriage was in a is in a rocky place it was a difficult time I was because of me primarily I mean she's not perfect but primarily I mean primarily it's it's me like I was the, I was the problem I was the one creating all these all these problems. And then God began to work in my life. And God saved me through that process. And I can remember, uh, I can remember it was, it was in this church. It was before this, this building had been built. So we were over where the kids zone is now. We're in the East Sanctuary. And, and after I surrendered my life to Christ, we went into a room and I was bawling my eyes out. 
And I can remember having a conversation with my, my wife saying, you were right. Like, because for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm seeing things the way God, like the way God sees them. And so for so long, I had fought against her or I would just say, hey, you know what? You're right just to get her off my back. Or, or you know, I would, I would make promises to change, but never really change. And, and I can remember in that moment, like, I now had a desire, like I was genuinely sorry. And I'm like, you've been right all this time. And then everything was perfect and lovely from that moment forward. <laughs> no. Now think of all the, the dumb things I did previously. The next six months of our marriage was the hardest it had ever been. And, and I was beyond frustrated both with my wife and with God as a new believer. Like, hold on. Like, I'm different. I'm living different. I'm doing different. I've genuinely repented. Now, like all of this, and, and but here's the thing. Like, she couldn't trust what she was seeing because for all those years, I had said, I'd made promises that I was never intended on keeping. So she's like, yeah, right. Okay, here we go again. And so that it took time. And, and so maybe some of you in the room or people that you know, like you, you've made poor decisions that ended up costing you your job. Or your career. And God does a work in your life. He, he, you genuinely repent. And you begin to go in a new direction. But the, the career path. The, the doors aren't opening for you. But you're different. But you're changed. And all of a sudden you're like. Well, God I'm, I'm doing it your way. I'm doing it your way. But why isn't this working out for me? Or, or maybe it's uh, in a, a broken relationship. That the relationship is broken. Because of something that you've done. Maybe, maybe it's an unfaithful spouse, and all of a sudden, God, gen you genuinely repent. Now you're moving in a new direction, but hold on, like that, that relationship isn't, isn't restored the way in which you think it should be. Or maybe decisions of your past, maybe, maybe it's addictions or something like that. And because of that, you have broken relationships with your children, or you have broken relationships with your parents, or you have broken relationships with your siblings, or you... And then now you're, you're moving forward, and it hasn't just been a week. It hasn't just been a month. It hasn't just been a year. I mean, like it's been years now, and you're, you're doing it. But still, those relationships aren't what you thought they would be, and you're genuinely living this thing out. And so why is it working out the way in which you thought it should? And you begin to get frustrated with God or frustrated with other people. Well, that's because... We don't say this. We wouldn't say forgiving means forgetting. But in our heart, we're like, well, why isn't this working out? I'm, I'm, surrender I'm, I'm surrendering to God's will and God's way, and it's not working out. Because what we want is we want all those things to be forgotten so we can move forward, right? That, that's, what, that's what happens, okay? And so what we do is we assume that uh, forgiving means forgetting. And people don't understand why God hasn't fixed what they broke. We don't understand why God hasn't fixed what we broke. And we feel like God hasn't kept his part of this, the confession and forgiveness bargain, when really he has. In fact, God has forgiven exactly as he promised. The Bible speaks clearly over and over and over again. Now, we don't really, we don't really talk like this uh, today. We don't use terms like sowing and reaping and that whole thing. Um, but the Bible's clear about that. 
you know, whatever you sow, whatever you plant, that's the harvest in which you're going to reap. And so, you know, when we sow our lives to the good, then then good tends to we tend to reap good in that. When we sow our lives to to destruction, then destruction typically follows. And so a lot of times what happens is, is even when we're sowing something new, we're still reaping from what we've sown over the months and years previously. Does that make sense? And so the Bible's clear about that over and over and over again in Scripture. All right, so that's the whole idea of, of how it relates uh, with God. Well, what about with other people? We get frustrated with others when we assume that if someone has forgiven us, whatever happened in the past should be a dead issue. I said, I'm sorry, why are we still talking about this? Right? It's this whole idea that, hey, I genuinely repented. I'm genuinely sorry. I'm genuinely changed in doing something, doing something different. Why, 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 why haven't you gotten over this? Why can't you just, why can't you just move on? And, and, and we have to deal with what's going on. And here's the thing. I, I was thinking about this. Like, this is really unreasonable if you think about it. What this does, now stop and think about this with me, because what this does is it unfairly turns the table on the person who's been wronged. You understand what I'm saying? Like, it unfairly turns the table on the person who's been wronged. Our sin is now their problem. Now, that's a great deal. That's really not a bad deal at all. We can mess up. You don't forgive me the way in which I think you should. And it's your problem. You're the one with the problem. But that's unfair to do that. And it's unreasonable. And we got to understand that, that healing takes time. That forgiveness is a process. And so when we, when we misunderstand and confuse forgiving and forgetting, it really can derail and mess up both how we relate to to God and how we relate to others. And here's the key. Uh, key to understanding is looking at how God forgives. That's the key. And that's where we're going tonight. The key is looking at how God forgives. Um, if you have your, if you got the handout, you see that we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 12 tonight. Uh, that actually is not on your handout. So if you have your Bible, you want to flip there. Everything else, all the other supporting texts are on your handout. But we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 12 um, so let's, let's just go over a few things before we, uh, before we get there, okay? Um, what, what we, we're going to pick up the story of David and Bathsheba. If you've spent any time uh, in church, even if you haven't, I feel like you probably have some sort of understanding uh, of this story. But I want to I just summarize things so we have a good idea of what's going on. So David is king, okay? And, uh, and, and one of his... One of his main warriors, one of his main soldiers is off fighting in the battle. And really, he should be in the battle himself. But while his, his soldier is off fighting in the battle, he catches a glimpse of, of Uriah, the soldier, catches a glimpse of his, his wife. And so what David does is he seeks after Bathsheba. And then he ends up committing adultery and having an affair with Bathsheba. Okay, while, while his, his soldier is off fighting for him. Okay, and so then what happens is, is Bathsheba ends up getting pregnant. And so now David has a, he has a problem on his hands. How are we going to sort through this? How are we going to get through this? Like, what are we going to do to get rid of this mess? And so he devises a plan. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to call for Uriah to come home. And when Uriah gets home, I'm going to send him home to his wife, and then he can be with his wife, and then he'll just think it's his kid. 
And so Uriah comes home, David comes, has him come in, but the problem is, is Uriah has way more character in this season of life than David ever thought of having, because he wouldn't even go and stay with his wife, because he's like, hey, my men are on the battlefield, there's no way I'm going to sleep in my bed next to my wife. And so he doesn't, he doesn't do it. So then David's like, well, what, what do I do now? Like, what, what am I going to do? So then he's like, okay, well, I'll give him a few drinks, and then he won't be thinking clearly, and he'll go on. Well, he still doesn't do it. So then David, in his mind, he conjured up, he's like, the only choice I have is murder. Because that makes sense, right? Now, if you watch the ID channel, it always makes sense. Like, people kill for the dumbest reasons. Like, I don't understand it. But in David's mind, it's murder. And so he sends a letter with, with Uriah to go to send him, essentially, he's going to take this letter back and he's going to hand it to his boss and he's going to send him to the front lines of the, the worst uh, battle knowing that in this battle that it's going to end up costing him his life. And that's exactly what happens. So now David, who's a man after God's own heart, has committed adultery, and now he has essentially committed murder. Okay? And so now we pick up the story in, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9. This is, this is Nathan. The prophet Nathan has come to, to, uh, come, come to David, and he is confronting him on this issue. And in verse 9, he says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to, the na- to your neighbors, and, they shall, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, Because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Nathan's like, mic drop, (laughs) right? He's like, here's here's some serious consequences that are going to come as a result. Number one is, you know, you're going to suffer for what you've done. You're going to suffer harm in all these different ways. And and ultimately, the the child that is going to come from this is going to die. doesn't sound to me like forgiving is forgetting. But in the midst of this, God also says your, your sins are no more. They've been taken, your sin's been taken away. And so we get a picture. So let's, let's, unpack, this. let's unpack this a little bit. Here, here's what we need to understand. And really, here's the key that I was talking about. When it comes to forgiveness, there are two separate realms. There are two different arenas. And God's forgiveness shows up a little different in each one of those arenas. It shows up a little different in each one of those realms. And so our first uh, arena is the spiritual and eternal arena. The spiritual and eternal arena. God, God's forgiveness wipes away David's sin. Agreed? In verse 13, he says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. That what happens is, is, is God's forgiveness shows up and it wipes the slate clean. 
But here's what we need to understand, too, that God doesn't forget what we've done. But he does treat us as if it never happened. Okay, that's that's extremely important. He doesn't forget what we've done, yet he doesn't hold us against us. He, He doesn't treat us as if it it has happened. God doesn't forget when he forgives, at least not the way in which we think about forgetting. Okay, so what's our understand, uh, understanding of what it means to forget? I was convinced today, I looked up on dictionary.com, I typed in forget, and I was convinced that my wife's picture was going to come up when it started talking about being forgetful, right? I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. And I, well, I mean, not really, but I, so here's, we've got this ongoing joke, and I'm just saying me too, Okay. Like, I don't know, the older I get, the, the less sharp I am. As Chandler said yesterday, um, my cheese is kind of starting to slide off my cracker a little bit, okay? So, like, there, the, we, we have these conversations, and, and now I've gotten to the point, so used to in our marriage, she was the forgetful one, and I had a memory like a steel trap, and she would say, hey, remind me, and I'd be like, done. And she knew it was done, and now she says, remind me, and I have no recollection of anything that she told me. And if you're older, you understand. You get this. You know what I'm talking about. Like, your memory doesn't work like it, it used to. And so now we have conversations about conversations that we had. And um, so to prove that I haven't progressed quite as far as my wife, she'll say, remember the conversation, and then she'll give me some details. And I'll be like, you know what? You're right. I completely forgot. Now, that doesn't happen for me. I remind her of conversations we have. I give her details, and she's like, I don't remember that. Like, I don't, that, that didn't happen. That, I don't know what in the world you, like, you must have been talking to your friend at work, or you must have been talking to somebody else because you didn't have that conversation with me. But there's this picture, if we think about what it means to forget it, this is the general, uh, this is the general definition you'll get. To fail to remember, it's this idea that we're unable to recall something, that the opposite of remembering is what forgetting is, okay? So to be able, unable to recall something. Well, let's just, let's just look at, he, all right, if we t- keep that in mind, and then you think about what, what God told David here in 2 Samuel, and then look in, in Hebrews chapter 8. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Right? Then in ver- uh, chapter 10 of Hebrews, he says, uh, and then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Does that mean that God erases those memories from his mind? That he remembers them no more. Whenever, whenever Noah had been sailing adrift for months, God, the scripture says, if you go read in Genesis chapter 8, it says, that, and then God remembered Noah. Is it like God was sitting there and he's like, oh, I forgot. I left the hose on. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like he, there are things that an omniscient God that he just doesn't remember. He wipes the slate clean. He's like, it no longer exists. Is that what, we're, is that what it means? And that that we're having this conversation, it's like it's, God just erases it from his memory as if it never happened. That's not what we're talking about. See, it's not, it's not the same definition as we look up in our dictionary. It's not the same definition as we have as idea of remembering. What happens is, is that God remembers sins no more, that he no longer responds in light of those sins. He's no longer responding to us in light of those sins. That they're gone completely from our our debt from our account, right? That we've been reconciled. And so thinking, remember, we're talking about the spiritual and eternal arena. The spiritual and eternal arena. 
those consequences, the spiritual and eternal consequences, have been wiped away completely. Completely. That's what Scripture's talking about in Colossians chapter 2. Listen to what it says. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Okay? That's exactly what Paul is saying here. So judicially, our record is cleared. Our record's cleared. But he, in 2 Samuel, he didn't, he didn't remove the consequences. Actually, because of his actions, there were consequences that were, that were given. So, number two, let's talk about this arena. The earthly and temporal arena. The earthly and temporal arena. Because at the earthly level, it, things are a little different. God's re- forgiveness shows up in a different way. And let's just be honest. Now, this isn't always the case. It's diff- it, God does things different in different situations, different circumstances. But n- seldom does God remove all of our consequences. That's very seldom that that, that that happens. Or immediately restore the things that you and I have broken. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't and he can't and he won't. I'm just saying that that's not normally the case. And I was thinking today about how I think that's honestly part of our consequences are God's grace because they're a constant reminder of what we've been forgiven of. And it's a constant reminder that we don't want to go back down that road. And so the consequences that God allows us to experience are always for our good. They're they're not punishment, not necessarily for us to suffer but they're always for restoration. They're always for reconciliation. That's, that's why God does what, he, does what he does. And he does not clear these consequences for, for David's sin. But what he does do in this arena is he offers a second chance. Now that, that is something very different than forgetting. That is something very different than wiping away our consequences. See, here's... Here's what David wasn't in this moment. David suffered. Can we, can we, all, be, can we all agree that David's suffering some, some very difficult circumstances, some very difficult consequences? But here's what doesn't take place. David is not doomed to a life of hopelessness and regret. He's not. The, plan A is lost forever. There's still a plan B. And in plan B, God's going to give a second chance to, to David. Because here's what David did. So what does he say? He says, I have sinned against the Lord. He understands. He's not talking about Bathsheba. Now, he understands that his sin affected Bathsheba and Uriah and their family and all the different people. But he understands ultimately his sin was against God. He repented. He turned from it. And he began to walk in a new direction, in a path of, of obedience. And he was restored. Here's the thing. He was restored to the highest level of usefulness. Th- think about this. David remained king. There's a large portion of Scripture that David wrote. His, his writings are in the Bible. Uh, now, we can't say that. You and I can't say that. So, so to say that God restored him to usefulness, and think about this. A large portion, if you go and you read through the Psalms, that's a lot of that's 
David's poetry and his songs, a, a large portion of those that he wrote came out of what happened between him and Bathsheba and Uriah and how he was restored in all of that to God through all of that. And so a large portion of the scripture that we see here, like it was birthed out of the very thing. Right? You see what I'm saying? Like that's, that's how, it, how it took place. And so he remained king. He, he wrote a lot of the Bible and much of that came through what took place with Bathsheba and Uriah. And so we can look at in 2 Samuel and we can, we can look at how God dealt with um, how he dealt with David, and we can use that as a model for us and a pattern of forgiveness for us. And, and one that includes earthly consequences, but one that also offers genuine opportunity for restoration and productivity for both ourselves and for, for those who have wronged us. And so here's, here's something that is not a spiritual urban legend. Okay, we're talking spiritual urban legends, all right? Forgiving means forgetting. That's, that's not true, but this is 100% accurate. If you're a Christian in the room, forgiveness is not an option. It's a sacred duty. Now, does that always look the same? The, what, what does that, you know what I mean? What does that mean? But, but the truth is, it's not an option. It is, it is commanded by Jesus is it is reiterated over and over and over again in the New Testament. Listen to uh, listen to what Colossians three thirteen says. It says bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That is that is pretty clear. That does not sound like an option to me. That sounds like it's. It's pretty clear. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That this idea of forgiveness is central to Christianity. And I think we would all agree with that. Would we, would we agree with that? Like, yes, we understand that forgiveness, like that's, that's such a core, that's, that's so much at the core of, of Christianity. That we understand what we've been forgiven, and so we're called to forgive the way in which we've been forgiven. That makes complete and total sense. Until somebody wrongs us. And I'm not talking about cuts us off in traffic. I'm talking about real pain. I'm talking about uh, real injustice. I'm talking about things that, that uh, keep us up at night. That, that go on not just for days but for weeks and for months and sometimes, sometimes years. It's easy to sit here in the pew and say, amen, that's right. Like, you're, you're 100% correct. Like, we're called as Christians to forgive. That's at the core of Christianity. Like, that is 100% true. But there are things that we experience in this life that um, we can say and hear, but, man, it, it's hard to actually uh, apply those things in our lives. It's hard to actually take that step and do what Scripture calls us to, to do. It's, it's difficult. So how do we, the question is, is, how do we do this in the real world? What what consequences, these are some of the questions I thought about. What, are, what consequences are appropriate? Does it mean trusting someone again, even when we know that they're untrustworthy? Does it, does it give those who hurt us the right to just barge back in into the inner circle of our, of our lives? These are hard questions to sort through. And what do we do? Well, we want to respond biblically so i want to i want to end our time together tonight just talking about some of the applications so here's where we'll 
here's where we'll pick up and here's where we'll start. Stop keeping score, okay? These will be helpful things for us in just figuring out how to, how to approach this, how to handle this, how to move forward. Biblical forgiveness doesn't keep score. In Matthew chapter 18, it says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often uh, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Depending on your, your translation, 70 times seven. This whole idea is like, um, and it sounds to me like I'm saying stop keeping score, and Jesus is like 77, like start keeping score. Once you hit 78, you're off the hook. You know, you're free. That's not the point. What Jesus would do over and over and over again in, in Scripture is, is he would use these hyperboles, which were these exaggerations to drive home a point. And what Jesus is trying to tell us here is like, look, he's reminding Peter and he's reminding us, you're going to keep on forgiving. You're going to forgive and then you're going to forgive again. And then you're going to forgive again. And here's why. Here's why Jesus says this. And here's why we got to have this conversation about keeping score. Because when it comes to hurt, when it comes to pain, when it comes to conflict, when it comes to injustice, we are, um, how do I say this? We have this amazing ability to get really creative with math. I guess would be the best way to say it. And I don't know, maybe, maybe thinking back to your school days, um, maybe you, like math was your favorite subject, or maybe you're like, that I hated math, and uh, there's no way I'm getting creative at math, and I don't care whether it was your favorite subject or your least favorite subject, we're all really good at getting really creative with math in regards to keeping score when it comes to, when it comes to forgiveness. So here's what we tend to do. We tend to undercount our own misdeeds. Agreed? We tend to, when we're tallying the score, we don't really, hey, one for Brian, two, three, four, five, six for them. You know, here's another one for Brian. You know what I'm saying? When we're tallying, when we're keeping score, we, we really don't, we take, it's kind of an unfair advantage that we, that we give ourselves. And, and in the process of that, what we do is we multiply the wrongdoing of others. We, we do that. And, and not just with keeping score, but just the way in which we see things. And so we will see our wrongdoings as just we minimize the things that we do wrong. And then we maximize the things that other people do wrong to us. We, we, there's this natural tendency to do that. We don't have to try. It just, it just happens. And we say things like, so when we're, when we're tallying the score and we're showing our scorecard to the people around us, because that's what we do. We don't just tally score. Then we want to make sure everybody knows the score. And so we go around and we tell everybody about what this person did wrong and the injustice they've done to me. And we make sure that everybody knows exactly what the scorecard is. Here, here's me. I got, I got two. I'm not perfect. See, that's one. And then there's a list of all the 25 different things that this person did wrong to me. See, I'm not perfect. I'm on the score sheet. But here's the list of 25 different things that this person did against me. And so we're really creative in the way in which we, we use the scorecard to our, to our advantage. And so we've got to be very, very careful not to keep a scorecard because we'll, we'll get ourselves into trouble. All right? Point number two in our application. 
I would encourage you to get a good mirror. One of them, like um, the ladies use for putting on makeup, where you see everything. Man, I'm like, why in the world would you have one of these? This is terrible. Like, I don't want to see the things I see when I look in those. It's bad. But get a really, get a really good mirror where you can do some serious investigating. All right? I want to read. Um, so I read, you, I read you the first couple verses of Matthew 18. I want to read the rest of that, read the rest of that story. So it's kind of a long, it's kind of a long passage, but it'll be good to to really begin to land this plane and get a good understanding of what's going on. So remember, Peter asked, he's like, "How many times do I have to forgive?" You know, when when they somebody does me wrong, and then uh, Jesus is like seventy-seven times, and then he's just again hyperbole. He's speaking, he's exaggerating to drive home a point, and then in verse twenty-three, he begins to tell a parable. He says, "Therefore, the kingdom of heaven." may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him and owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, so essentially he just was forgiven this debt that he could never pay off. And the master said, you know what? You're forgiven the debt. So when that same servant went out and found of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, just a small fraction of what he owed, and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should uh, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And so what we see here is we see just a clear picture that biblical biblical forgiveness should always start with a good look in the mirror. Like we need to be reminded of what we've been forgiven of before we start holding forgiveness over somebody else's head. See, for biblical forgiveness, it doesn't start with the wrong that's been done to me. So what we see here is if we get a, to get a good understanding and really to move forward and put our best foot forward, what we, what we understand is that biblical forgiveness starts with the wrongs that I've done to others. And we understand the wrongs that, not, that I've committed against God and the wrongs which I've committed against other people. Do, do, you know, you begin to think, like, what, what have I done and how have I been forgiven? See, that changes things. That changes things. And here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to get alone. When you find yourself in these seasons where it's difficult, it's difficult, and and you're trying to sort through this, and you've genuinely been hurt, and you've genuinely been wronged, and there's been a a genuine injustice that's that's been done, Get get alone with God and begin to just, Ask him to help you with the hardness that is that has overcome your heart. Ask him to 
to help with the resistance that you feel towards doing what you know God has called you to do. Like God's the only one that's capable. Let, let me just be clear. God's the only person that's capable of changing the human heart, including yours. Now, we can cooperate with God in that process, but the truth is, is it's God and God alone. Okay? And so we need God to move in our hearts. But a lot of times we don't want God to move in our hearts, and so we don't want to pray for that. We don't have the motivation. We don't have the desire. And so I'm not saying, hey, help me to forgive. No, God, help me to want to forgive. Let's just start there. Like, I, let's not, let's, because the truth is, is we experience real pain. There's real brokenness. I don't want to minimize. I don't want to minimize anything that's been done to us here. I don't want to minimize because some of them are very difficult and it is painful. And, and maybe they haven't even asked for forgiveness in order they care for forgiveness. And so like, well, God, help me just to have that desire. Begin to chip away at the, the hardness of, of my heart. Help me to do that. And then I would encourage you to do this. Think about all the rotten things you've done. Y'all are some rotten people. I am rotten to the core. And I'm not talking about just like thinking about what you've done wrong in this situation. Okay? Because whatever situation it is, I can promise you, no matter how bad they handled it, you, you've probably handled some things poorly as well. And a lot of times what happens is we, can, um, we find ourselves in situations and we can be right and then we can just handle that wrong. And so we, re we respond and we react in the moment and we, we completely and totally right. We've been wrong, but what we do is we just wrong in return and think, okay, well, I'm justified to do that. And so, all right, let's, let's take a step back and think about all the terrible things that we've done. Not just in this situation, but I mean just in life in general. Think about all the different ways that we've, that we've wronged God. Think about all the ways in which we've been unfaithful to Him. Think about all the ways that we've hurt the people that love us the most, the people that we should be um, loving most, and, and how we've, we've caused them pain and difficulty in our lives. And you begin to process that. You begin to think through it. Not, not for the purpose of self-condemnation. I don't, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. This is not like, hey, we're going to go into self-condemnation mode. That's unbiblical as well. But it's just remembering exactly, remembering those things for the purpose of remembering how God has forgiven you in the midst of those things. That's the purpose. And then what will, will begin to happen is this righteous, this righteous anger is not so righteous after all. It's no longer, it, it begins to become very humbling when we stop and think about who we are and what we've done and what we've been forgiven of. And it makes playing the role of the unforgiving servant seem pretty ridiculous when we do that. All right, number three. Let's let God be God. Okay, so let's just talk about a few things. Let's, let's talk about ultimately forgiveness can only be given to those who want it. Okay, I mean, we can forgive people without them asking for it. But, I, but I'm just saying, when it boils down to it, like, like if people don't, if they don't think they've done anything to be forgiven of, because th that's what happens. A lot of people, there becomes this righteousness, this self-righteous anger, this self-righteousness. And so people begin to think, I don't, I don't have any reason to be forgiven because, well, they did this and they did. And so what happens is a lot of times people don't, and, and th sometimes that's us. 
And sometimes that's other people. But sometimes people people don't want for, forgiveness. And this whole idea of like, um, you know, if a school bully keeps stealing your lunch, like beating you up and stealing your lunch, this whole idea of making them an extra sandwich and putting a smile on your face. And so you take the beat and you're like, hey, I put some extra in there for you. You know, like that's not really because because in a lot of ways, that's what we do, especially in relationships that are that, that are closest to us. It's almost like uh, and this happens a lot of times in families like we give we give people because they're family. We just offer up permission for them to continually hurt us over and over and over again. And so what do we do? We just make them another sandwich and we show up and we're like, hey, I'm showing up so you can cause pain in my life. Hey, I'm going to show up again so you can cause pain in my life. Hey, I'm just going to keep showing up. It seems to bring you joy to cause me to suffer. And so this is amazing and awesome. And I love you. Here's an extra sandwich. I love you. Is that what we're supposed to do as Christians? Is that what you're supposed to do? Is that the biblical response? Is it? Because I feel like some of you in the room, you feel like it is. And you can't keep showing up for a butt whooping over and over and over and over again. And you have zero boundaries in your life. And you just allow people who love you, that are supposed to love you, you want them to love you, they should love you, but they don't. Why are you allowing them to continue to hurt you? Right? So we can't, we can't do that. And so when people desire to continually hurt us rather than reconcile, then it requires a different response. And here's the response, and you're going to love this. And you're going to be like, Brian, why didn't you say that when we started this whole conversation? Because it's been really quiet in here tonight. I know, it's a, it's a, it's a thick subject. Revenge. Revenge. That's the, that's the response. But... It's not our revenge, okay? That's important for us to, it's not for us. The response may be revenge, but, and that may be what naturally comes, you know, what comes natural. We want justice. We, at least we want justice when it, in regards to other people. Like we want people to pay for what they've done unless it's something that we've done, then we don't really want it. We're totally okay with getting off the hook if it's something we've done. Agree? It's like, there's not, not many, many times when you've done something wrong and they're like, you know what? You're like, no, 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 I can't take that. Like, I got to pay. I need, I need justice in this situation. No, rarely do we ever do that. Like, we want justice for other people. We don't necessarily want justice for ourselves. And so, but, but revenge is not for us. And it's not personally returning evil for evil. What it is, though, is it's setting some boundaries. It's having some consequences. Were there consequences in David's life because of what he did? Yes, and so we've, it's okay to have some, some consequences for what's taken place. It's okay to set up some boundaries in our lives so that we don't just continue to give people permission to hurt us over and over and over and over and over again. Okay? And so that's, that's what we're looking at. And then we turn it over to the Lord. And Scripture's clear in Romans 12. says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. There's room for revenge, but it belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. And here's why. Here's, now, I know there's probably multiple reasons, but this is just as I was unpacking this and thinking through this and praying through this, and um, I, I believe this is a, a big part of why. 
God sees things as they really are. See, what we see is tainted by our desires, by our flesh, by our sense of justice, by our sense of wrongdoing, by our sense of, like, God sees things as they really are. He sees behind the scenes. He sees all the things that are going on in, in other people's lives that you don't know about. He, he knows about all the things that have been done to them. and all. See, hurt people hurt people. That's how it works. Hurt people hurt people. He knows about all the things that, that you don't see, that you don't know about, that you just see the symptoms of all those things. You just experience the symptoms of all those things. But he sees it all. He sees it all. And he sees clearly. He, see, we want revenge, but, but sometimes, sometimes revenge isn't appropriate. Something else needs to take place. And God sees that, and he knows that. He sees clearly. You, you know, a lot of times, um, so, you know, I reference back to this a lot, but you know, I spend a lot of time working with teenagers. And occasionally there's teenage drama. And uh, occasionally in adult ministry there's, there's teenage drama. I don't know, it's weird how that happens. But anyway, so uh, the point is, is like whenever, whenever something's going on, whenever there's conflict, somebody will come in and they'll tell their side of the story. And they are passionate and they believe exactly what they're saying. And then the other individual will come in and same conflict and they've got a completely other story. A completely different story. It's crazy how it can be the same conflict, but over here you've got one side and over here you've got this side. And the truth is, is and whether it's teenagers or adults, or well, it doesn't matter. Somewhere in the middle is the truth, right? Well, God sees through through this perspective. He sees or sees past this perspective and sees past this perspective. And he sees what's true and right. And he sees what's clearly going on. And sometimes we, we get blinded by our passions. We get blinded by our hurt. We get blinded by those things. And so to be able to just say, Lord, I'm, I'm handing this over to you. Like, I trust you with this situation. Like, I don't, I don't feel, like, I don't want to. I don't want to hand it. Like, I don't want to, but I trust you because I know myself. I n understand my tendencies. I, I believe that there are some things that I don't understand. And here's the thing. God's ultimate desire is always reconciliation. His desire is always reconciliation. His desire is reconciliation for that individual between them and him and, and between you and them. That's his ultimate desire. And honestly, a lot of times that's not our, we don't want reconciliation. We want them to pay. We want them to pay. And, and that's not what God primarily wants. Now, God will sort through all that. He's God. And so let's just let God let God be God. All right? So, if that's God's greatest desire, then that should be our greatest desire. Reconciliation should always be our greatest desire. And if that happens, does that mean that everything will be immediately restored back to the way in which it, it once was? Maybe. Maybe not. Right? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Do we have to just hand over full trust and, and for the relationship be restored back to what, what it was? Well, no, we, we don't. We understand that, that uh, it doesn't magically happen overnight, that, that forgiveness puts aside bitterness and, and our plans for revenge, but it doesn't magically turn the other person into our best friend overnight. And it doesn't have to. And you shouldn't feel guilty for that. But we want to do. We want to move towards reconciliation. That's the 
That's the goal, but trust has to be earned. And close relationships in our lives are a privilege. They're a privilege. And again, what we want is we want what, what God wants. And so here's what we need to understand. We need to understand that forgiving is a big deal. And when we offer forgiveness to those who have no excuse for the things the world would consider unforgivable, we become most like Jesus. As Jesus hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And yet there were times where Jesus was harsh with the Pharisees. So, like, here, here's the thing. What, here's what I want us to, here's what I want to end with. We got to walk with God. All these things that, that we've talked about for application, they're going to be extremely helpful. But we've got to walk with God and listen to his spirit as he leads us and guides us. And sometimes he's going to call us to do something that makes complete and like makes no sense whatsoever. And there are going to be times where there needs to be clear consequences and there needs to be clear boundaries, not just for yourself to protect you, but also for the hope and for the good of the other person that they would be reconciled. They would be reconciled to God. Jesus, Jesus died for sins he never committed to offer forgiveness to people who didn't deserve it. And we want to be more like Christ. That's our, that's our desire today, just to be more like Christ today, especially in regards to, to this topic. All right, let me pray, and we'll, uh, we'll end our time.